On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Welcome back to Raising Rare. In the last few episodes, we've been talking about exciting research results and the science that Sonneth has been driving. But today we're going to step back and we're going to spend some time talking about Raghav and some of the changes in his condition. He's doing great. He's um, happy and smiling and just a very happy little boy. Um, you know, he went through a little episode of cold and other challenges, but he's back on his normal self again. Um, he just woke up this morning with a big smile on his face. So that keeps us going. And uh, he also has, um, we're very close to getting a, a new device for him to help him communicate. And the device is called uh, NeuroNode. So this is a really exciting development for us because Raghav is nonverbal. He's unable to communicate verbally. The speech language pathologist uh, tried about 10 or 15 device, 15 different devices on him. Uh, these are different kinds of switches, you know, iPads and applications and, and so on. They finally narrowed down on this watch-like device that Raga will put on his right hand. And every time he moves his hand, it clicks uh, something on a computer. And we will pair that up with what is called a communication app, which has tiles of words that Raghav can choose from. So if he wants to play uh, a particular game, he can say game and we'll go figure out what the game he wants. If he wants to, if he wants to watch TV, he could say TV. If he needs a diaper change, he could kind of scroll through to that tile and move his hand to call out a diaper change. This is like a baby that's just starting to talk their very first words. We're super excited to see that coming. Well, and it's the first really good use of a poop emoji I've ever heard of. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think we should definitely do a poop emoji, given uh, that he is of this generation. I think he deserves it. Um, yeah, I think that that would, be, that would be a lot of fun. But I know that you've had some other things going on, too. It hasn't been all rose-colored glasses here. Or it hasn't been rosy the whole way through. So what's happened? What's changed? About two months ago, on a normal day, we didn't expect anything to go wrong that day because it was an as usual a happy day. Raghav didn't have any underlying issues going on. We we spent the whole day with him, that, that whole morning with him. We took him out. I think we went grocery store shopping, which he really liked. Uh, because he really liked passing through the aisles of the grocery store and seeing seeing all, all the objects kind of move behind him. So he kept smiling and laughing. We took him to a nap that afternoon, um, and he was incredibly happy, and he fell asleep rapidly. And we thought, you know, life is good, right? And I came back outside. I started doing my own work. About, say, an hour later, uh, after he was in his nap, we heard through his baby monitor that he was coughing. 
This is pretty normal for him because he coughs during his sleep if there is saliva that he couldn't swallow or if he has a reflex that something is coming up that he couldn't swallow. And it's, it's a pretty normal sight. Sometimes the cough is connected with a vomit because he has to spit up whatever is coming up his throat. And that's a normal sight too. We looked at our baby camera, which is surprising because we just installed the baby camera a week ago. And we saw something unusual. Raghav coughed and then he didn't move his body like he would usually. He didn't lift his hand. He didn't start crying right away. He looked different. He looked very different. And that's that's the only way I could describe because when, when we looked at the camera, it looked as if he was just like kind of still. We didn't know what was going on. And we got concerned and we rushed into his bedroom. I picked him up on my lap and Ramya came in too. Um, I thought he had some congestion in his nose because although he looked still on the camera, he was moving in my hand and it looked as if he was trying to get, it, was, it, it looked as if he had a vomit and he had choked on it. And so we needed a suction machine to suction um, whatever he choked on from his nose. Um, so Ramya got the suction machine and we suctioned him. After we got everything out of his nose, he still wouldn't shop, stop making those movements. I had no idea what was going on. Ramya had no idea what was going on. It looked quite odd and, and a different type of a movement that we had never seen. As the time went by, and like as literally seconds went by, it started to occur to us that his whole body was shaking. And his whole body was shaking symmetrically in a certain direction and also periodically. So his shaking was just so periodic, like a pendulum, right, going back and forth. And there was just no control. Like he would, it looked as if he was looking at us, but he was not, he was not paying attention to us. He wasn't, his hands and his hands were not moving coordinated, uh, sorry, uncoordinated. They were actually moving in the same direction. His legs were moving in the same direction. And that's when it occurred to me that something just terribly is going wrong. I thought he, he still choked um, his, his vomit and he's trying to gag and get it out. But I didn't know how serious this was going to be. So I asked Ramya to call the 911. She, she called up 911 and got the paramedic uh, to come home. I picked Raghav up. Um, I, I started standing and rocking in the hopes that he could, you know, whatever he's choking, he would spit it out. His shaking went down a little bit and I thought, okay, maybe it's just getting better. But then after about two or three minutes of this happening, his shaking started increasing more and started looking a lot more intense that I could I couldn't hold him in my hand that I might I might just drop him. Um so I had to put I had to lay him on the bed and watch him get blue and blue in his face and his lips as I was waiting for the paramedics to show up. Wow, and how much time passed as you were waiting? The total duration was about five minutes. So the paramedics showed up in about five minutes. I, I would say they, they showed up in about three minutes after we called them. It's just incredible. And it was about five minutes since I, since he first coughed. You know, once once I put him on the bed, I turned to his side and I thought I was, I was just, I started, you know, uh, patting his back to make him cough. Uh, he wouldn't do any of that. And 
after about five minutes of constant shaking and he 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 just he, he threw up and he stopped and i didn't realize how blue his face had been until he stopped shaking because i could see the blood rushing to his face and his face getting pink his lips were super blue i i just thought it was just my eyesight that uh, you know i can't, i'd come into a dark room and i turned the lights on so i thought it was just my eyesight that was just messing with me but it turned out his face and lips were, were turning blue very rapidly and i'm super thankful he coughed and and the whole episode stopped right when the paramedics walked into the door so after that nothing happened he was just crying and freaking out uh, but you know several days after this five minutes of shaking both ramya and i have we, we had been shaken a lot we'd been just like we had been shaking after this episode because we don't know what was going on and we were reflecting and we realized oh shit this is a seizure and kids with this disease generally don't have seizures until they are at least seven or eight years old and raghav just turned three and he had he already had his first seizure so this is super, super scary for us. Well, and the fact that it happened while he was sleeping and that you, you know, saw it over the, the baby camera, that, that, that shakes you too. Because, as you said, it was a brand new baby camera. When you started reflecting on it and you thought, wow, things are happening in his sleep that we may not have seen, what was your reaction, your gut reaction? So... During the episode, I knew, like when, when Ramya was calling the paramedic, I also asked her to take a video of what's going on, because in my mind, there were two possibilities. One, either he was choking or he was seizing. Neither of us said the word, but we had we knew that in our, in our, in our minds. And so we had taken a lot of videos so we can send to a doctor. And right after this episode, we called up the doctor's office. Uh, we sent them the video and had them give us an appointment in just a few hours they gave us an appointment um, to see him a couple of days later along with doing an eeg but that evening we actually got a virtual appointment with our doctor uh, our neurologist so we can talk to him and understand what's going on and he he did confirm that raghav had a seizure this is scary in many levels because as you said it was just a week ago that we had installed this baby camera. So we have no clue of knowing if Raghav has had a seizure in the past. Um, for all we know, his vomiting episodes that are that we thought were usually normal during his afternoon nap could have been accompanied by a seizure. And there was just no way for us to look back in time and know what, what had happened. On the other hand, we were also hoping if the seizure was triggered by vomit, right? Like what if he did have a vomiting episode, but he choked on his saliva and typically when you choke on something, you want to get it out and your body just goes into this, this autonomous rhythm of trying to squeeze that thing out of your, of your, out of your attract. We were hoping that it was triggered because if it is triggered, it's it's less risky than a seizure that happens automatically. 
And sleep, I learned later that sleep is usually the number one, not a cause of seizure, but the number one time when a seizure could happen. And so putting everything together, we were very afraid because uh, this is potentially a data point that's showing Raghav's disease is progressing and getting worse. Yeah, I think it's something to, to start monitoring closely. Another, another aspect of his life you'll need to and understand whether it's happening regularly, what frequency, all of those things. I'm assuming this led you guys to the emergency department and when you call 911. How did the emergency department handle this? Because it's, it's one thing to have somebody come in unable to breathe, apparently seizing. It's another with Raghav's just underlying condition beneath it. So how did, how did that work? Yeah, so when the paramedics came in, Raga was already Raga was already stopped seizing, and he started crying because he was freaking out, not knowing what happened. He cried nonstop for like fifteen minutes, just unconsolable. Because I think, uh, in some deep level, he realized he was not acting normal. He probably felt whatever was going on in his mind. So I think that is why he was just crying unconsolably for the next 15 minutes. The paramedics offered us to take us to the emergency room, but we said no. We decided to stay home because we know that if we take him to the ER, they are going to do a whole panel of tests. And if Raga was not in a danger, they're going to send us back. This is going to lead about to about a three-hour, four-hour journey in the ER mostly waiting and making him making raga freak out a lot more than he's already freaking out so we were just not sure if if it is needed at that point we were also partially hoping this was triggered by a vomit so we decided to call our neurologist and get a right get an appointment right away then go to the emergency room so we did not and that turned out to be the right decision to make because there was he didn't have a seizure after that a couple of hours after this episode, he was back to his normal, happy self and smiling. Obviously, he was tremendously tired, so he went to bed quite early, but we saved a trip to the ER. That's a win. Yeah, and it, it's great that the, the paramedics were able to give you what you needed there, get him through this, and then you could react to, okay, what do we do now? So you, you had an appointment very quickly with your neurologist. Can you walk us through the conversation and what, what the neurologist did to help you understand what had happened? Yeah, so um, our, our neurologist is awesome. He first watched the video and told us this is highly likely a seizure because it's, it's apparently, I, I'm, not, I'm no expert here, apparently it's very hard to figure out if something is a seizure or not if you are not an expert trained in, in that sort of a, a domain. Uh, so he did confirm that it's very highly likely a seizure. The next question was, should we start on a seizure med? Is this going to happen again? Was this triggered by a, a, a vomit or a choking? And is it even safe for him to sleep in the afternoon anymore if he's going to start getting seizures? So he, he debunked a lot of myths. He said, you know, sleep is actually more important for him now that he's had a seizure. Uh, because sleep deprivation could cause more seizures. So we went back, 
to this mode of okay let's let's make him sleep as much as he can so he's happy and energetic and then he also said you know there is a probability that he there's a non-zero probability that he will get a seizure again but no one can predict when and how and what intensity and so on but in terms of risk factors right his underlying medical condition is there his one of his very early EEGs uh, that we had taken when he was just one year old looking at his brain wave pattern brain brain electrical patterns showed abnormal behaviors although they were not abnormal enough to be called a seizure and then the fact that he had one seizure essentially put him in the category of of high risk which meant that the doctor felt he should start a, a seizure anti-seizure medication called Keppra um, at, a, at a reasonably low dose so you know we we just get him enough therapeutic benefit but not push him too far to start seeing side effects you know we wanted to repeat the EEG we wanted to see if there if we could wait out on the medication you know should we wait until the second seizure shows up before we start the medication and so on but then we eventually decided to get Raghav started on Kepra because his other like after we did we actually did a second EEG on him as well after the seizure episode that was very consistent with the first EEG we had taken there was no seizure during the EEG but the, there were discharges or what they call electrical abnormalities the doctors felt like the risk of Raghav hurting his body or hurting any of his organs after another seizure is non-zero which meant which means that we you know should do everything we can to either prevent a seizure or reduce the intensity of the next seizure coming up whenever that might be or even if that happens right um this made us uh, i guess the risk judgment call that we should start him on the seizure medication which we had started and started just a week ago so about a about a month and a half after after this episode is when we actually started the seizure medication and Raghav is, is tolerating that quite well so we're, we're we're quite happy that that you know this is working for us and so far he hasn't had any other seizure events like this no he hasn't had any other seizure episodes they also gave us um, an emergency stop medication that you would administer rectally if he had a seizure for longer than three, four, or five minutes. And it's it's a judgment call we have to make because we apparently usually seizures just come in and go go away all by themselves. But if they continue longer than a certain period, they could start harming his internal organs uh, because during a seizure is uh, respiratory muscles are not contracting and expanding like they should be, uh, which means he's essentially running low on oxygen. And as you all know, if oxygen supply is cut to the heart momentarily or to the brain momentarily, that can lead to injuries in those muscles. And so we don't want to push him too hard, which is why they gave us this emergency stop medication. But fortunately, we haven't need any, needed any of that so far. He, he hasn't had another seizure. But this changed um, everything about our perception uh, of Raghav. Like he went from a kid that was just incredibly stable almost since COVID started. So about a year and a half, he was just incredibly stable, rock solid, happy. Didn't even have an episode of cold to bumping him back into this high risk category, putting that fear in our head. Actually, for the very first time, we had, we had never feared anything about Raghav, but after the seizure episode, 
both Ramya and I have the element of fear in our head now because we don't quite know what would happen tomorrow or even this afternoon with him. And so that changed everything about, about, about how we think about Raghav. That's a new aspect to, like, to live in here, um, of something happening. How have you guys leaned on each other to, uh, to deal with that? You can't manage it. You know, you've got, it's there. Fear is rough that way. And how have you guys reached out to each other and how's that going? Yeah, I, I guess there is, there is little that we can do to manage the fear or stop the fear, as you said, but, you know, we can manage it. And our, our general coping mechanism is playing with Raghav more, spending more time with him, finding another win that we can celebrate for him, helping him smile and, and stay happy and positive. And so the more, the more time we spend with him, the less fear we have in total. And so our coping mechanism has been, well, let's drop everything else happening. Let's go spend dedicated time with Raghav. Let's make sure he gets the 100% that we can give for him. And then we'll deal with what comes out of it after that. Yeah, I know that you've had a lot going on in your life. You're changing homes again. You had a delay in your and the grandparents coming to help you out, and, and you took some time off, but a significant amount of time. I mean, you took some real personal leave here, just in the midst of all of this. How did that go, and how has it been, you know, how did it help, and, and how has it been going back to work? Yeah, the, the, the personal leave was transformative. The first half of this of, of, of the break and, and the half is almost marked by the seizure. Um, the seizure his seizure happened almost the half way mark during the break. The first half was just incredible. For the very first time, I did not have any commitments. I actually put an out of office uh, response to even my cure GPX for and open treatments emails. So I not ask I'm not responsible to respond respond to anyone. No one at work is waiting on me. So my mind for the very first time felt incredibly clear. I, I, to a great degree, I felt like a human again. Right, I, where I'm, re I'm just not constantly chasing deadlines or looking at my time for the next meeting. I, 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 I don't, I can't do everything that I wanted because I am taking care of Raghav. He has a very fixed routine we have to cook, we have to make breakfast, we have to make lunch, we have to give him all the medications, we have to make sure he gets fed, he, he gets a bath, and he's made to sleep, and then, you know, and he's getting a nap. There's just a lot of things that had to happen through the day. It was incredibly exhausting, but I felt a lot of calm. There was just that connection back to life that I got through this break. And then his seizure happened. Two days after the seizure, he le he developed um, an eye infection, and the eye infection led to a lot more watering in his eyes, which led to a nose infection, and then he got a cold, and the cold lasted for about two weeks, and then he got allergy, which continued to last for another good chunk of time. So for about four or five weeks after the seizure, he has been on a continuous downward trajectory. 
and our fear from the seizure just multiplied tenfold because if he gets a cold the last last two times he got a cold he ended up in the icu but fortunately for this time we were given what is what are called breathing treatments and we started that right away when we noticed the first sign of nasal congestion and so we were able to get through this and the doctors helped us get new medications to get through the allergies and so for i would say for the last four days he's been very happy and back to his baseline and so although i felt like a human again you know the big part of being human is is experiencing pain which is how my second part of my break was and going back to work was very refreshing too um, because I am able to think about things from a very different perspective. Uh, I'm a lot more calmer now. I'm not as anxious about getting every single thing done because I know what's life, what life is all about at this point. And I feel like it's not about just knocking off your to-do list. It's about having a meaning, having a purpose and reaching the goal that you set out to do. It's changed everything about both the break and the whole seizure episode changed uh, me once again. Yeah, I think that you know, those emergencies at work just pale. And you realize they're not emergencies. There's somebody who's impatient. There's something, you know, it's a situation, but it's not an emergency. It's something that, that just needs to get done in its time. Where when it's your son seizing, that's perfect clarity that, that's an emergency. This is something we have to drop everything to deal with. So in going through all this, and you took a break, which is great, and I applaud you for that, but we know fatigue and exhaustion and burnout are a reality. When any of us burns a candle at both ends, and you're burning a candle with several wicks, you know, you're, you're, you're doing so much at once and trying to tend to them all. What, do you, what advice do you have for other rare parents who find themselves tiring in the midst of this battle. Yeah, I've been reflecting a lot on this because when um, I got it, I got started in this rare disease journey, I had just enormous energy. Um, I, I still do have that energy, but I also have a lot more things to do at this point that I had spun up. So, you know, reflecting back, I'm asking myself the question, life is super short i probably have another maybe 20 or 30 years left of my prime time to to do any work that i want to do and on top of that there is absolutely no guarantee that i do have those 20 30 years i probably just have a day for all i know so it's impossible to predict how much time i do have there's only a few things that we can do right there is home to take care of there is my son to take care of there is work to attend to that pays the bills and so i have to be incredibly selective and um and clear on what i want to work on um, on top of that i have my personal interests of reading a certain book or you know learning a new technology or learning a new topic and on top of that i also want to learn to surf now that we've moved to california so I have all these interests and I, I just don't quite know how to put them together and stack rank them and prioritize them. I've tried a lot of different techniques and at this point I've, I've grown tired enough that I cannot multitask. So I really have to pick only a very few things that I want to get really deeply into. 
my strategy all along has been breadth versus depth, which is I will cover a lot of different things, but I'll only do a very little, I'll only go deep very little in each of those activities that I cover. So I don't have to spend time on, on, on each of them quite a bit. That was okay, uh, but the, the, the price to pay is multitasking and as you said, fatigue and exhaustion. And the only way to beat it is to find something that you're really passionate about that gives you energy when you do it, um, that makes you feel happy and contented if, if today was the last day, right? And, and so I'm trying to find what those activities are for me. Um, and in those, essentially, the way to find them is to work backwards from goals in life that you think you, you want to reach. And, and I, I tend to latch on to larger than my personal goals. And so I'm trying to work out those goals precisely and find a small number of activities that I can focus and go deep and really make a difference. Because the, 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 the more the breadth I cover, the less effective I am. I, I start to sound more like an inspirational speaker than anybody that has achieved anything for reals. So I, I don't want to be the guy that's just faking it. I want to be making it. Well, thank you so much for, for being so open with your situation and sharing your growing wisdom and actually sharing your story as, as this unfolds. Um, I think it's, it's what Raising Rare is all about, why we got started. And I think this is a good time to let our listeners know that with this episode, we completed our second season of Raising Rare. It's been two seasons already. I'm stunned. But we wanted to announce that we're going to take a break until the new year both to give Sonneth and Ramya a chance to recharge, but also to give us a chance to reflect on how we can make this podcast better for you. But while this is just taking one thing off their plates, Fight to Find the Treatment for Raghav goes on, even though we're not on the air, and you can join them in that fight by contributing to CureGPX4.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, this has been an amazing Two years sharing our journey with you all. If at all anything, this has been more cathartic and helpful for all of us to share our journey with you. Even though each one of you are not going through this journey, it, it just feels like we are, we, are, we are in this journey together. Thank you. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare. Raising Rare.